Welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast. In this podcast, we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we do tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors too. Hello, this is Alan Collins. Welcome to the Hugh James Abuse Podcast, and I'm joined by my colleague Sam Barker. Hello. And thanks, Sam. And we are going to be discussing the high-profile case of Cardinal Pell, who has recently been convicted of child abuse offences. So, can you help us, Sam, by explaining who Cardinal Pell is? Because some of our listeners may not realise who he is. No problem at all, Alan. Well, um... Obviously, this is a very significant conviction uh, in, in really the history of the Catholic Church. Cardinal Pell, as he's known as, was ordained in 1966 and later became the Archbishop of Melbourne in 1996 uh, to 2001. He was then the Archbishop of Sydney from 2001 to 2014. He was ordained as a Cardinal in 2003 and he has since been the a close advisor to the Pope. He was also... Uh, the treasurer to the Vatican, and is essentially the highest ranking Catholic to ever be convicted in relation to child sex offences. So he's a very powerful figure in the history of the Vatican. It's a very significant conviction for that reason. And what's the history behind Pell and his role as a very senior cleric in the Roman Catholic Church in Australia? Well, quite a controversial history, actually, in terms of child sexual abuse. Now, obviously, this recent conviction has made it more official. It was following it. It's a jury conviction following a long and very public trial. But for years, he's been bedeviled with controversy in relation to this because, notably, in Ballarat, he shortly after he joined the priesthood, he lived with um, who is now known as Australia's worst pedophile priest, Gerald Ridsdale. They shared a room in Ballarat. Cardinal Pell has always said and has maintained he never knew about the proclivities that Gerald Ridsdale had. Gerald Rildsdale was later convicted of sexual abuse of 65 children over the years, so very significant and obviously a horrible past in history there. It's been alleged that Cardinal Pell knew about this. He was certainly involved in moving Gerald Rildsdale between parishes. He's always denied that he knew. And the Royal Commission is going to publish some material on this, is that right? He He was asked at the Royal Commission about his knowledge He denied still that he knew anything about Gerald Ridsdale, despite living with him. Certainly says that he didn't know about any of this when he was moving in between parishes. But it later came out that Ronald Mulkerns, who was bishop, I understand, he knew about Gerald Ridsdale and he was also involved in the movement of Ridsdale between parishes. So some refused to believe that Cardinal Pell didn't know. And the Royal Commission apparently has some sealed documentation. We don't know what that's going to say what the outcome of that will be. So it could be very interesting. Absolutely. And look, you know, it's been an issue in Australia for years. People have always suspected that he knew about this. Conservative columnist Andrew Bolt, who's always been a dogged supporter of Cardinal Pell, said essentially that Cardinal Pell was curiously indifferent to incidents of child sexual abuse, um, which is quite a thing coming from Andrew Bolt. That was later retracted by him. But this curious indifference, to, to use his word, is is indeed true. We've seen Cardinal Pell, there's been allegations about him over the years. 
when he came into power in the Australian uh, church, he said to have saved the church tens of millions of dollars, even up to $100 million in relation to claims arising out of uh, clerical sexual abuse. So he was behind defending these cases. Absolutely. So he created what's called the Melbourne Response in, I believe, 1996. The Melbourne Response had a capped payment of $50,000, which was later um, increased to victims of child sexual abuse in the clergy. That has been since derided. There's been public outcry about it. A lot of the settlements have been overturned because the church was seen as being extremely adversarial in their process. They had lawyers. The victims didn't have lawyers. Notably, they, a lot of them didn't have legal advice. Then Cardinal Pell was the leading force behind instructing solicitors to defend the John Ellis claim. So what's the John Ellis claim all about? John Ellis was a victim of child sexual abuse, clergy sexual abuse, sued the church. The Catholic Church notably defended the claim vigorously. They spent $1 million or more on their defence. So what was the defence? Uh, essentially, the Catholic Church wasn't an entity that could be sued. And that was successful and led to what's known as the Ellis defence, which precluded for years victims of clergy sexual abuse being able to bring a claim against the church. They weren't able to because the church wasn't an entity. And is the Ellis defence still valid? Because I thought that had been yeah, no, overturned. Since overturned. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't know the history behind that. It might be that it's not relied on anymore, but certainly um, it's not valid anymore. Because in the UK, there have been cases where that argument has been pursued, but really has never succeeded because... Claims are brought against bishops and dioceses and the higher courts have ruled that these are entities that can be sued. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And Cardinal Pell's involvement in that case shows his attitude towards claims of child sexual abuse. You know, his track record in relation to all of this has been, frankly, subpar. And he later comes out and says that it's disappointing that it's taken years for the Catholic Church or indeed the Church in Melbourne to come to grips with the problem, it's just not the case. He knew of the depth of the problem. So he was part of the problem. He was part of the problem. He led the defence. He instructed very high-profile, very good solicitors. He later said at the Royal Commission that perhaps the legal defence was too good, and that's what led to the Ellis defence. So, you know, for years he's been behind and saved the church hundreds of millions of dollars. It's not surprising he later became the treasurer. Yeah. So where does this conviction of Powell take us? Where does it take the law? Where does it take survivors? Where does it take the Roman Catholic Church? Well, the Catholic Church are um, failing to, well, they're refusing at the moment to accept the verdict, essentially. They're saying that they won't make comment on it until there's been a definitive assessment of the facts, which, in my view, avoids the issue. There was, Cardinal Pope was represented by Australia's most formidable criminal QC, Robert Richter, he is known for being brilliant and zealous advocate. Nevertheless, a trial was run in front of a jury. The jury returned a unanimous verdict of guilty. It was a long trial. It was The facts were rigorously assessed. So in my view, there has been a definitive assessment of the facts. Now it's a question of whether there's going to be an appeal. So maybe the Catholic Church is saying, well, we need to see what happens with the appeal before we exactly. make but any kind of response or, rea or react to it. <laughs> exactly. But regardless, saying that there hasn't been a definitive assessment of the facts um, is somewhat untrue because there has been. Yeah. 
which sort of feeds in to my observation with what we heard at the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse the other week which is there's just this this sense that the roman catholic church or the hierarchy in the roman catholic church struggles to accept law absolutely Bob, mm-hmm. you saw you were there for the fact that the papal nuncio refused to attend the ICSA hearings um, yeah, which was extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. extraordinary mm. stuff. Mm. So, where to for the Roman Catholic Church um, from here in relation to this conviction? Well, you know, it's a huge blow to the Roman Catholic Church, coinciding with this summit that they're running, which we spoke about last week, Alan, on a podcast. It's a big thing for the church. So the, the survivors were saying that the summit was just a sort of damp squib, that it was a really a non-event, which. I would say, you know, has got some credence, particularly given the, you know, the reaction so far to the pale conviction. So where does it take survivors and their access to justice and their quest to obtain some kind of justice in respect to the sexual abuse that they've suffered? I think that this shows survivors that there there is a chance of getting these convictions should they come forward. It's obviously a very difficult thing to come forward and to have to endure a trial, particularly a trial of this magnitude that happened in relation to Pell. There was so much publicity in relation to this case, as I said, rigorously defended. Regardless, uh, they succeeded. And, you know, Pell ran the classic defence that these people were fantasists. And frankly, the fact that the church is now saying, well, we're going to wait for a definitive assessment of the facts when Pell essentially was relying on the defence, well, they're they're fantasists. In my view, the church is implicitly supporting that view. And of course, the other side to all of that, of course, is how can they assume that they can rely on Pell? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, what I was saying before is Pell's track record in relation to child sexual abuse speaks for itself. In yeah. My view. So and where does it take survivors of Catholic clergy abuse beyond Australia? Where does it take them? I think it reinforces that there is the possibility of obtaining these convictions, even when you're coming up against the force of something, an institution so large as the Roman Catholic Church, public support and public opinion has changed. I would hope it's not now still seen as these people are coming from, a, they can't be relied upon, they can't be taken seriously because of issues that have occurred in their past and since being abused. I think that this shows that obtaining a conviction is possible even in the face of immense power. Immense power and immense weight being brought to bear by powerful people. Absolutely. And Alan, I was going to ask you a question given your history of, you know, your background in the criminal law. And that is that within the, a lot of people within the Australian criminal law community are saying that this should have been a judge alone hearing this case rather than a jury. What's your view on jury involvement in such public matters such as this? I'm a big supporter of jury trials because jurors bring to the justice process their own individual experiences of life, they can reflect societal attitudes and they can bring often common sense. When you have just lawyers trying a case, lawyers bring their own expertise, their specialism and their own backgrounds which is invaluable and I would say that, of course, being a lawyer. But when you've got disputed facts, you need, I think, society to buy into the trial process and to determine innocence, guilt. And the best way of doing that is by having a juror. Twelve good men and women coming forward from society 
they are representing their community, they're representing their society, and they're bringing to the process everything that that brings, and you can't attach enough weight to the significance of that. I think it was right to have this case tried in front of a jury. Yeah, and you get that objectiveness to the facts as well. I think that's really important. And also, I think an important thing to note is that it was a very, you know, it's an experienced judge presiding over the process. We've seen that the second trial, where there was other allegations made against Pell, that wasn't pursued. And one of the, the reasons why that wasn't pursued is certain evidence wasn't allowed in by by the judge. And that shows that these this case was impartially and fairly presided over by a county court judge. Also, it was subject to a committal process. That doesn't happen here in the UK anymore, but the committal process is retained in Victoria, which means that the facts and the evidence were initially assessed by a magistrate. And and certain charges weren't allowed to proceed. Pell's QC accused the magistrate at one point of being biased. We've seen that this was a very involved and rigorous process. Indeed. And one mustn't lose sight of the fact that jurors are told time and time again, if there's any doubt, you give the defendant the benefit of the doubt. You can't convict on a hunch. And to get a unanimous verdict is quite, quite an achievement in these sorts of cases. Yeah, particularly historic cases. And uh, having said that, it's a, a tragedy that one of the complainants died before the verdict came out. He overdosed um, on heroin. Clearly, he was bedeviled by what had happened to him as a child. But regardless, it's great to get a verdict that um, essentially confirms his complaint. Once again, Sam, thanks for chewing matters over with me. Thank you, Alan. To everybody who's listening, we've got our fancy new podcast gear here so i think that it'll sound a lot better so join us for another podcast next week thank you thank you for listening to this episode of hj talks about abuse you can subscribe to our podcast on itunes spotify and google play if you would like to speak to alan or i about something you have heard this week or even if you would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, please do get in touch at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.